and welcome back to another episode of Lost and Down. I am your host, Stephen Weed. Of course, always joining me in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. My co-host, Mr. Walter Lukashenko. And before I toss it to him, we have to make sure you know this episode is brought to you by TabEase.com, the premier Delta 8 edible on the market. Make sure you use the promo code FOOTBALL for 20% off your first order and free shipping. And with that, I will toss it over to Wally. Wally, it was a crazy weekend in football. We saw seven of the 12 underdogs win outright. But before we dive into that, how the hell are you? Great time of year, man. Arguably the best sports month of the year. We have so many sports right now. What just finished baseball, but now we have college and professional football. We have college professional basketball, college and professional hockey. It's just an awesome time of year and very excited. And like you said, very crazy NFL week we're going to get to talk about here in a second. How'd you do this week? How are you doing? We're hanging in there, you know, got to actually head up to Cleveland on Thursday, got to see my aunt, uncle, found out my mom and stepdad are actually in town, so we got breakfast with them on Friday morning, got to hang out with the girlfriend's parents a little bit, came home, watched both the Kill Bills, that's right, watched both of those things, because Kylie has never seen them, so had to educate her real quick. Strong, leading woman role in there which she loves, and a shit ton of blood and murder, which I love. So it was the best of both worlds. Saturday, got to celebrate with my buddy Adam Alfonso. His wife are expecting a baby boy or girl. We don't know. They don't know. Let's go. Yes, I'm very excited for them. Obviously, kudos. The downfall, as I put it in, in that card I signed for him. Love you guys. Hate that you have to bring another Bears fan into this world, but whatever brings them happiness, I guess. So shout out to shout out to the Alfonsos there. And then Sunday got to watch a bunch of football. Before we got into what our football watching experience was, we have a couple NFL stories from the week. And of course, your Vegas Raiders seem to be the topic of discussion here over the past month, month and a half. They cannot stay out of the news after they cut their former first round pick, Damon Arnett. After Damon Arnett had posted on his Instagram live or video of him flexing on guns, telling people to pull up, you're about five minutes away, you know, threatening that he will kill you. And he's he had quite the arsenal of guns. I will give him that. Those paychecks, I can clearly see where those are going. But Damon Arnett cut by the Vegas Raiders, leaving only Brian Edwards as the last remaining player on that roster from the 2019 draft class. I've said enough. Wally, this is your squad. I want to hear from you. I'm just surprised that you still have all the hair in your head right now and it's not getting pulled out at this point. No, I mean, when you're used to it, you're used to it. And as a Raiders fan, there's not been a lot of being accustomed to happiness. So this is just more par for the course. Yeah, I was disappointed, kind of disgusted about all this. And I think the part that bothers me most is now you have Damon Arnett and Henry Ruggs, the two first-round picks in this class, both had shown such signs on the football field about being a real problem in this league. And they could have been the face of that rebuild or or the face of that draft class that could have put the Raiders above and beyond what they have been doing for the last 20 years. And this is just, I'm so disgusted by it. And I, I don't, I really don't know what to say because I know this draft class will go down now in history is one of the worst ever, but purely I mean, a lot of this is from the personal decisions that these players have made. Picks like Tanner Muse, yeah, those ones, and Lynn Bowden Jr., those were terrible picks. No defending those. But like, how am I supposed to sit here and knock Henry Ruggs and Damon Arnett's picks when when they were on the football field, they were some of the best players on the Raiders? So 
I don't know. At least the good news here, as I'm sure you saw as well, Deshaun Jackson signed with the Raiders. And that, at least, he's wearing number one in practice. And everybody just knows, because it's science, that if you wear number one, it makes you faster than if you wear any other number. So, naturally, I'm pretty excited to replace Henry Ruggs with, what, 35-year-old Deshaun Jackson. Jokes aside, I'm actually really, really excited about that move. As long as you can stay on the healthy side, I mean, it's a good move. It, it puts a veteran experience in that deep in that deep threat in your offense, which we will get to. I'm sure you missed it here this past Sunday. Man, I just as much as I love seeing it down wall, this one this one's stinging. Like, oh man, even I would I wouldn't wish this on my worst enemy, which is basically you. And you know, I hate seeing it here. And I hate seeing how disgruntled your face got when I just shat on you real quick. I again I can't tell you, I've said it last week, my phone has been blowing up. It's amazing how I have all friends as soon as my team sucks and everybody wants to make fun of me. But when they're good, radio silence on the cell phone wave. It's crazy. You know, I got your back. You know, I'm always high on your Vegas Raiders. We'll, we'll move it on here to the next story. The story that's really taken up this past week. Odell Beckham had cleared waivers here on at 4 p.m. Eastern on Tuesday. Just November 9th, yesterday for some of us. But you, you don't know when we're recording. But now you do. So what that makes him a free agent. Odell gets to choose where he gets to play next the first time that he gets to in his career. The top three teams that have been listed here out the, the last couple of days, the New Orleans Saints, the Kansas City Chiefs, and the Green Bay Packers. Maybe Seattle in the mix. Pete Carroll kind of sending some liminal messages during one of his media days after practice. We don't know. We all know where I think and where I want him to go. But why? Where do you think Odell Beckham eventually will land? And do you think that he can impact that offense immediately when he does i'm not really sure anymore because for such a long time we had believed odell to have that thousand what he had like three straight years in new york where he had like 13 1400 yards or more and we keep waiting for that to show up in cleveland and we don't know if that is just purely a kevin stefanski and the brown style of play where it's a very team oriented team where they're trying to win don't give a shit about the stats and they're just going out and the goal is to have one more point than the opposing team at the end of the at the end of the day. Now, if Odell goes somewhere and he's an immediate problem for other teams in that division, then this is a home run. I just don't know if that's going to happen, especially when a lot of rumors right now are pegging him to New Orleans, where Trevor Simeon is going to be the quarterback. So it just doesn't make a lot of sense that you fight so hard to get freedom just to run down. And be in the division with the defending Super Bowl champs and have Trevor Simeon throw you the ball. I just, I know Browns fans are, are hoping for that because they're very disgusted with him. But just wanting to see the best out of Odell, that's not the place where he wants to go. I, I'd like to see a Seattle or Green Bay from an intrigue perspective, but I don't know if that's actually going to happen. Hopefully, there's a chance by the time this comes out, he's already decided. And if that's the case, we'll see. But yeah, my money right now is on the Saints. There was a report that came out like right before we started, you know, recording here that he was he's going to take his time with it. He's only, you know, he's a few days away from picking. I, you need to pick quick, man. This is your this is your tryout. You want to have the most attempts at showing yourself and your and what you are capable of or at this point what both Wally and I are thinking what can you still do? Right? You're coming off a season you had a 1000-yard season your first year in, in Cleveland toward the ACL last year. Now you're coming off there. You still have you have shoulder problems. It's either shoulder or elbow. There's still a lot of question marks. 
I think that he can contribute to an offense in the right spot. I don't under, to your point, I don't understand why New Orleans would be on the radar outside of being the hometown team. Yes, winning record right now. Yes, huge quarterback problems. Trevor Simeon maybe he starts fucking up and we throw Taysom Hill in there. We're not really too sure. A team that I am very surprised is not being talked about, the Indianapolis Colts. There's a team that's inept at the wide receiver position. I don't know too much about what their salary cap space looks like, but why not? You know what else too, Steven? You know Give who's it to me. you know who's about to get hard knocks here for a dysfunctional trick down the end of the season. Imagine Odell with hard knocks mid-season with the Colts. I would love that. Great, great point. And plus, I, when's Ty Hilton el- or I know he's eligible to come back, but when is he coming back? He's been so he's been playing on and off now. He's I think since he's been back, he's wow, he's been like that bad that I literally haven't even noticed him. He he completely fell off the face of the earth. Once Andrew Luck left, and there's been that quarterback carousel there, because there was you know skepticism about him even staying there past last season. He signed a one year, I want to say ten mil, something around their team friendly deal to keep him around. I'm assuming that this is going to be his last year because the dude just cannot stay healthy on the field, and when he does, he is a blimp on nobody's radar. Why not add him in there, Carson Wentz? needs a deep threat or really a just a reliable receiver after even though we're bashing Odell and what the lack of production he's had here the past year and a half seems like a really good fit yeah no and you're right too I just I wanted to see his stats just so I have an idea of why I missed him so far and yeah he's had six catches for 96 yards and two games where what he played the Texans so naturally that's why I wasn't watching that game and then the Titans game, I must have just missed his two catches for 16 yards. You're right. Yeah, that's – I don't know. That's a, a position. I guess the only argument against the Colts doing that is if they're already giving up on the year and why bring in a locker room cancer or a guy that you might perceive as a locker room cancer if that is the case. All I know is Green Bay's at least put a contract in front of them for the league minimum with the opportunity of getting more money. But they want to prioritize re-signing Devontae Adams to an extension before they fully commit to Odell Beckham, which I get. If anything, you need to rekindle the relationship with Aaron Rodgers. That's bumpy. I'm not going to sit here and talk about that. I think the NFL is grasping onto the Aaron Rodgers story like there isn't an NFL season going on. It feels like the Dallas Cowboys talk in mid-May. Like, oh, the Cowboys are going to be Super Bowl contender? They will not leave Aaron Rodgers alone right now. They need to rekindle that before anything I honestly thought Odell was going to go to the Raiders. After the Deshaun Jackson signing, maybe that's out now, but maybe it's not. I wouldn't be surprised. I know Wally's over here getting getting those Vietnam flashbacks about Antonio Brown on the hard knocks, but I'd like the fit. With that, let's just move it right on to the hair of the dog, baby. Get you through these bullshit games that honestly no one really cares about. We don't really care talking about, but we're going to do it anyway because we love this damn sport we call football. The aforementioned Indianapolis Colts, Dog walked the New York Jets on Thursday night football. Don't let the 45-30 to 30 score fool you at all. The Colts had control in this game the entire time. Carson Wentz throwing three touchdowns. Jonathan Taylor with 200 total yards and adding two touchdowns himself. 532 total yards is what this Indianapolis Colts offense had. Big Mike White, the legend, leaving this game with an injury. And insert Josh Johnson, I know. The quarterback we've really, really been waiting to see on that New York Jets roster. He comes in, throws 317 yards, three touchdowns, one pick. And as Wally puts it here, welcome to the Matt Flynn Club, Mike White. I think that the injury, and I feel bad for Mike White because it was clear he was playing pretty well 
in his at least two games since the Patriots game here. The only issue is, is now you're looking at a Mike White that might never... I don't know how serious it's going to be if this is going to recur or not, but he might end up have just made himself a lot of money in a weird way. And I brought up Matt Flynn just because you think about what he did with the Packers in those couple games that he would play late in the year. He made himself a career backup and a lot of money because of it. I know this hurts right now for Mike White, but in 40 years, I think he's going to look back and tell you that this might have been the best thing to ever happen to him and to his family. And I'll leave it at that. Yeah, the Colts dominated this game. And they're at least trying to hang in there, at least for a wild card. Need those wide receivers, though. So going back to what Steven said before, who knows what they do. Maybe T.Y. Hilton continues to, I mean, he needs to get better somehow. Or someone has to become a weapon. Otherwise, the Titans are going to continue to run away with it, regardless of who's there. Our next game where Miami snapped a seven-game losing streak. Of course, you you know who I was going to tell you they're going to break a seven-game losing streak to before I even tell you, the Houston Texans. They did bring Tyrod Taylor back, but you can tell that this team not only is just lacking a ton of talent, Tyrod's unfortunately in over his head. He's not going to have a chance. He might be able to keep him in games, but he's not going to be able to win a lot down there. The crazy thing about we just talked about that Colts game these two teams here combined for 534 yards, which is only two yards more than the Colts had all of Thursday night. Tells you the kind of game that you were looking at here. Just two very bad football teams in a very ugly game. Dolphins won by eight, though. you have anything to add on that one? For the Houston plus seven betters like myself, this was heartbreaking. You couldn't, couldn't get one more field goal, at least stop them, do something. Nine turnovers in this game Total. Miami with five, and they won the game. Houston had four. Tyrod Taylor throwing three interceptions his first game back. This game this game was ugly. It was not entertaining. Tua ended up being a late scratch, yet he was on the sideline as an emergency quarterback only in search of Kobe Brissett, and I definitely thought that that plus seven was going to be easy. Man, was I wrong. Jacoby Brissett decided he wanted to earn some money in the backup role. It's an ugly game. This was red zone. I didn't even have this on. Like I was like, oh shit. Okay. Oh, it's still three three. Oh, it's three three. Oh, it's nine three. Oh, it's seventeen three. Oh, they scored a touchdown. Oh, then they didn't cover. That's awesome. This game sucks. Miami, kudos to you. Someone had to win this shit game. Funny stat here before we get out of this game though. There were twenty five drives in this game. Twenty six total points. Of the twenty five drives, you had nineteen drives ending either a turnover or a punt. They were averaging about a point per drive in this game. Whereas that Browns game later on we'll talk about, the Browns were averaging about a point per play. That just tells you it looks like a different sport right now, what Miami and Houston is doing compared to the rest of the league. I know you're a professional. You're making millions, hundreds of thousands of to millions of dollars. That sounds miserable, miserable just being in Houston, dealing with that, making that as your profession. Yes, I get it. You know, it's champagne problems, but that's a shit show. The next game that we have on the slate, the shorthanded Cardinals go up to San Francisco and beat the 49ers. This is all without Kyler Murray, DeAndre Hopkins, A.J. Green, Chase Edmonds ends up leaving with an injury. And the offense is still able to put up 437 yards, five sacks on the defensive end, and does not turn the ball over with Colt McCoy leading the pack. 49ers had two costly fumbles from George Kittle, Brandon Ayuk, they were never really able to recover from them early on. This is bad. This was the game I thought the Niners were going to get over that hump and maybe start making a run and shake up that division like we were anticipating them to do in the beginning of the year. 
But man, this team looks bad. They are not the team that went to the Super Bowl a couple of years ago. Yes, I know that they took away some of those key players, but a bulk of them are still there, and they just simply cannot get it done under Kyle under Kyle Shanahan right now. Cardinals have a great bounce-back game. Pull a Green Bay to what they did to him a week and a half ago. But this is extremely impressive. What are your thoughts about the San Francisco downfall and Arizona just staying right up there as the favorite of the NFC? I, I mean, Arizona is obviously a lot better than I gave them credit for going into the year, going into a place like this where you know a team had to realistically win the game to feel like they could hang around in the division, and now they're dead. You killed them. To put your foot on the throat of a division rival like this on the road, that is very impressive, and it says a lot about a team, and especially without the guys they had in there. Now, from a San Francisco perspective, though, they had 11 rush attempts in this game. I don't care who you are. You're not going to win a football game with 11 rush attempts, but then when you factor that into San Francisco is built on their ability to run the ball. This team was doomed from the go, and I've got to give Jimmy G a break. Like you said, he, he played halfway decent in this game. It's just he unfortunately had a couple turnovers early in the game from wide receivers and tight ends that made it impossible. When you fall behind 17 to nothing, the way they're built, you're not going to come back. And, and we saw that very early in this game that it was over. San Francisco season's dead in the water. It's time to just see what you have in Trey Lance. And I I feel bad because this is my Atlanta Falcons. We found them. The San Francisco 49ers are your Atlanta Falcons here. And speaking of your Atlanta Falcons, they almost blow a massive lead to the New Orleans Saints. And Atlanta... Stop me if that sounds familiar. <laughs> exactly. That's it. A Atlanta staple. How can we lose this game that we're so comfortably ahead? And credit to them, they did manage to have a, a late touch, or not a late touchdown, a late field goal drive to win this game after the Saints did take the lead with about a minute left. They scored the final 22 points up until that point, but they avoided the massive collapse. This was, uh, it's a weird game here because I think both of these teams are average-ish that if the right things happen could sneak into the playoffs. I just don't think either of them have the ability to even compete with the team there do you feel a different way about either of these teams or i just don't see it. the nfc south is it's literally the the bucks and then a cliff and then these next three teams this atlanta team they've won three of their last four just to get back to 500 they might be rolling here i don't think they're anything more than a wild card team or a fringe wild card team i don't want to go full in for the wild card but i like what atlanta's doing they're not blowing those leads they're closing out games not as smoothly a little bit rough around the edges, as we like. We had what well, Young Ho Ku win two in a row at the buzzer for this Falcons team. This New Orleans Saints offense really, you know, really took a while to get to get going, but scored 22 points in the fourth quarter, led by Trevor Simeon with two touchdowns and 249 yards. Now the biggest thing is Alvin Kamara with a potential knee injury that's going to keep him out. They are hosting running backs here this past week. So I'm going to trust Atlanta a little bit more than this than the uncertainty of what's going on in New Orleans. I don't know how much I can trust Trevor Simeon. Now, granted, he went up against the GOAT, got a dub, and fought his ass off here till the end and just lost that, lost a game that he had no control over. Now, if, it's up, if it was him that had the last-second turnover, yes, 
you can't control that. You put the trust in your defense, who you've been able to trust all year. It's a tough pill to swallow. Right now, I like this Atlanta team because they're, they're a little bit more hot and not as hot and cold like their counterpart in New Orleans. The Patriots, speaking of winning three of their last four, like the Falcons, the Pats have actually won four of their last five. They beat Carolina and Christian McCaffrey's return to the team here. And the Patriots are also 4-0 on the road. That's a nice little note to have. Mac, 12 of 18 for a buck 39, a touchdown and a pick. Nothing crazy. And on the defensive side of the ball, the Patriots holding Carolina to a 240 total yards, three turnovers, 3-11 and on third down. So New England controlled this game from the get-go. Carolina has lost five of the last six. The quarterback is a glaring issue. I guess Teddy Bridgewater is not looking so bad right now with Sam Darnold with a fractured scapula. It's in the old shoulder here. Only reason I know that is because of Bleacher Report giving me the breakdown. He's going to be out multiple weeks. Insert P.J. Walker here. This Carolina team is drowning, and they're drowning fast, even with the return of CMC. Their O-line is a problem, but their defense is pretty solid and can keep them in the games. But not if you have Sam Donald throwing 172 yards and three interceptions. I saw one of the meanest but funniest tweets about Sam Darnold after his injury yesterday. Mike Renner, who is working with Pro Football Focus from Cincinnati, Ohio. And fun fact, he was actually on The Bachelor a few years ago for my fellow Bachelor fans out there in the world. You're a fucking loser. And I wear it like a badge of honor. But what I will say is that he had a tweet after and it was... Sam Darnold has an incomplete fracture of his scapula. He can't even complete that. And it's just, while mean and a little just harsh, it says everything you need to know about this Carolina season. Their quarterback play is a massive problem. And unlike the flip side of what you get to see with New England, New England very smartly decides, as they say smartly, they were very smart to actually use Mac Jones as a game manager, and they strictly try to use him that way. You saw the three running backs with the eight or more carries in this game, and that was a trend with a couple teams on Sunday. Winning running the ball is still winning, and I know that we're getting past happy in the NFL, but the Patriots know that their personnel right now is more, I guess, in tune to run the ball and be successful. And once they figured that out, I mean, you said it at the start of this game recap, four in the last five, and even before that, I mean, my God, the two last home games they had was against Dallas, they lost in overtime, and they lost on that crazy Tampa Bay game where emotions are high, Tom Brady's back. It was just weird. This New England Patriots team has legitimately got a shot to win this division. If they can sneak that first win against Buffalo, I think that all of a sudden Buffalo starts doing the, oh my God, like over your shoulder, they're right there. This New England Patriots team won't go away. We'll see. That first matchup really is going to determine a lot there. The Chargers needed a last second field goal to beat the Philadelphia Eagles. And just like I talked about with what the Patriots figured out, it's evident that the Eagles are starting to realize that running the football is the way for this team to be better. It's a way to get Jalen Hurts to be a little bit more effective and efficient. And this was another example. Instead of eight carries, we saw the Philadelphia Eagles have three different backs, have 10 or more carries in this game, and run the ball successfully too. It's about time. I I mean, my buddy Zach, I, I talked about it last week. He's been, like every Eagles fan you see, run the ball. It's not that hard. And it's just sometimes you get frustrated when you watch football or the NFL or college football because these are just such high-profile coaches that are making so much money and it makes you wonder how sometimes that 
you just can't get through to these guys when they get hell-bent on a certain idea or scheme that they have. That's a conversation for another day. Herbert and the Chargers look pretty good. They're going to hang around, and now all of a sudden, with this win, and with, I guess, the other wins in the AFC West, excluding the Raiders, all teams in that division are 5-3 and three or 5-4 and four now. That is going to be so much fun to watch down the stretch. I just hate the fact that I'm in it, so I'm not going to be able to enjoy that sprint to the finish line. The Chargers have a problem. They cannot stop the run. They're letting teams have the ability to beat you or stay in the games that you should be blowing them out of the water strictly because you can't stop the run. Like you said, 176 yards and two touchdowns between those running backs and three backs with 10 or more carries. Now they're deciding and realizing they need to run the ball, yet they don't have their best running back on the field. That's a great time to realize that. Herbert and the offense are awesome, but they can only go, you're only as strong as your weakest link, and your weakest link is giving up 160 yards on the ground each game. You're going to continue to let teams in or let lesser teams beat you strictly because of that. So I don't think Justin Herbert's that, they don't have that high power of an offense yet to allow that glittering issue to not be a problem. So it was good to see the Chargers get back in the win column. They had a couple rough losses here the past couple weeks. So the New England Patriots that we said 4-0 on that road went to L.A., gave it to them because of that pass defense. This is a good confidence-building team. And like you said, this is awesome. Down the stretch, nine games left. Everyone within a game or a half game of each other. This is what football is about. And the team that you weren't expecting to be in the mix here at this time, at least. The Denver Broncos dominate. You can't see me. You can't see our rundown. But there are underlines underneath the word dominate. Dak and the Cowboys from start to finish. Dak goes under 50% in his return from the injury. 19-39, 232. Two touchdowns when they were down 30 to nothing is when he got those touchdowns. One interception. The Broncos' offense looked good. Teddy Bridgewater looked good. Tim Patrick looked good. That whole offense looked good. They didn't even have their starting tight end, Noah Fant. And Dallas looks human again for the first time since losing to Tampa opening night. Wally, what did you think about the Cowboys taking that fat L to the division rival Denver Broncos? I know we talk a lot, a lot of shit about them. It's only two wins in the last six games. Do you see them as a threat at all? The Broncos, that is? No, I don't think they're a threat to win the division. I think they're a threat to potentially be a wild card. It's just going to be really difficult when you factor in all those division matchups down the stretch. And I just believe that they're the fourth best in that division. So you'd imagine that's quite a few losses that are going to be racking up here. Without Vaughn Miller, too, I think that a lot of the success you saw early in the year will probably fade. And I know they dominated the Cowboys, and I'm, I'm coming out really negative for a guy that just watched the Broncos team up 30 to nothing on the road. And this is crazy, too. For anybody that watched that game, I don't know the last time, maybe the Steelers, maybe the Packers, going to Dallas and truly taking over that stadium, there were a ton of Bronco fans there, a sea of orange, and I didn't realize. I know that that's somewhat close for Denver, at least in terms of other teams in the neighborhood, but... I still was shocked by that. and It's a testament to how good the fans are in Denver. But yeah, no, the from there, no, I don't think that because of their quarterback play, they're going to be good enough. I still don't even think they're good enough to make the playoffs. But as for the Cowboys, this is a game you throw out. This is a bury the football game. 
You've played so well in the first half of this season. This is just an egg. You forget about it. Dak's first game back just felt weird. It's gone. It's dead. I'm not even going to register this when I'm taking my picks into account. This game's just forgotten about. Broncos win big, and that's all that matters. And now that we're at the end of our Hair of the Dog segment, we would like to remind you guys that Loss of Down is brought to you by Tabbies.com, the best Delta-8 THC edible on the market. It's sugar-free, keto-friendly, gluten-free, heat-resistant, and made of 100% pharmaceutical-grade ingredients with consistent dosing for the perfect edible experience. But hey, if you're not into Delta-8 THC, that's not a problem. Tabbies offers an option with no THC, while using the same proprietary drug delivery system to ensure it that guaranteed dosage of CBD. Right now, Tabbies.com offers three flavors, galactic fruit, watermelon, and mint. They are perfect for any time your anxiety is high. I've been battling depression and anxiety for a long time. And don't get me wrong, this really isn't a fix, but it does make me feel much more at ease, hence the name here. Whenever I'm feeling overwhelmed, I seriously would recommend this whether they were a sponsor or not. So please make sure you follow them on Instagram and Facebook at Tab East Co. That's Tab East Co. spelled T-A-B-E-A-S-E-C-O to be the first to know when they drop. You can get any of these products at tabbees.com. And with the promo code FOOTBALL, you can get 20% off your entire order and free shipping. Now let's get into some of our game recaps that we are much more inclined and excited to talk about. Some better games. And I think Browns fans and everybody that are in Ohio right now were paying very close attention to this next one here, where the Browns realistically dominated this game from start to finish. The Bengals drive down the field on the opening drive. Looks like they're about to go up 7-0. Instead, Denzel Burke, Denzel Burke, I just did a what? I just did a Big Ten podcast where the Ohio State cornerback Denzel Burke. So now I say Denzel. Anyways, where Denzel Ward started the game with that 99-yard pick six. And realistically, they, it, they just didn't look back from there. I mentioned earlier, I mean, the Browns only had 46 plays in this game. And that's how efficient their offense was. When they were on the field, they were moving the ball. Baker Mayfield had his highest passer rating of the year on Sunday at 132.6. Modest stat line, but they didn't have to ask him to do a lot because they were winning so comfortably in this game and running the ball so well. He was 14 of 21, 218, two touchdowns. Don't forget Chubb breaking off that monster run. It had to have been 65, 70 yards, somewhere in that neighborhood. And that's the reason why he only had 14 carries, but had so many yards. This felt like a game that kind of exposed the Bengals as being that team that got here a year early. I said that a few weeks ago, and I I can't say it enough. This is not a Bengals team that I feel like is bad or everybody jumped off the ship so fast. This is a Bengals team that... Arrived a year early, had a really big win, a a win that can really help propel and build confidence in that Ravens game. And then they flipped around, they lose to the Jets, and they lose to the Browns in the fashion they did. They are going into their bye now, which couldn't have come at a better time. But as for the Browns, they lose OBJ. You had to wonder how they'd respond. And what did they do, Steven? They just come out, take care of business, and do so looking very good on both sides of the ball. We said the AFC West is up in the air. All four of these AFC North teams are in this. Who do you think right now of these two teams are you leaning to to be there at the end of December, early January? I want to lean to the Cleveland Browns right now. They really took off on OBJ, take away the Cowboys game last year, 
they got so much better when OBJ was off. When he tore his ACL now, obviously, you're not hoping or wishing for an injury like that, but the team took off, and they went better. This isn't a surprise that this offense took off the way that did against Cincinnati. They played all three aspects of the game perfectly. Defense, you score a touchdown. Offense, you're, you're putting up points. You're gassing them on the ground game. You're opening up 60-yard bombs to Donovan Peoples-Jones. You have Nick Chubb coming back, getting comfortable back in the lineup. Even though he did just test for COVID, we'll see if he's going to be able to suit up here this Sunday. This is what the we have grown accustomed to of Brown's victories. They are complete team wins. The defense is kicking ass like they did. Five sacks, three turnovers, led by Miles Garrett leading the NFL in sacks right now with 12. He adds a, a sack and a half, three quarterback hits. And these Bengals need to get out of the kitchen because they cannot stand the heat. They were crowned as that's the team out of the AFC North here about two weeks ago. They lose it to the Jets. They just got spanked by the Browns, who Baker owns them. You have to give the nod to the Browns out of these two teams. Because that was a great game. Yes, Baker spread the ball around eight different people with at least one reception. He only had six completions to wide receivers there on Sunday. But he knows how to spread the ball around. And that's what you need Baker to be. You don't need Baker to be that guy at quarterback. You need him to be a game manager, and a slightly better Mac Jones. So I'm glad Baker was able to get back to his ways where you're not stressing him too much, and you're shaking your head. This proves it. He's, a, he's just a nice game manager who's slightly a slightly better game manager of Mac Jones. Just because you're asked to manage a game doesn't mean that that is your only ability. That's the difference. And right never, now, we've never, never seen... Saying it's a, Never saying it's his ability, but Baker Baker can lose games more than he could strictly win it for you. I don't know. I we, yeah, and that's where we've obviously had our disagreements before. The only thing I was going to say going into this is that I saw a video, and I'm sure a lot of people did too, where Nick Chubb's sitting on the bench and Odell's walking over to him. And I don't know if this was last year or this year, but I think it tells the difference of what that team mentality is versus why the problem was is that Odell walks over to Nick Chubb and says, man, I really want a touchdown. And Nick Chubb just responds, yeah, I just want to win. And that's the difference in this team right now where this team is a very team-oriented, we're going to get there if you do your job. If you do your job, trust a man next to you to do his, we're going to go places. And I think a lot of diva wide receivers out there are more interested in getting their points, getting that respect, getting that money, whatever. And, and that's my whole thing there. I know that we're in, couldn't be in polar opposite more camps on Baker, so it's probably just a, good to leave that for the day. What do you say we go into the next AFC North team? I'm cool with that. Numbers don't lie. Can't wait to just slap you in the face with them. You'll be like, you know what? You were right, Steve. Keeping it in the division, like you said, the Baltimore Ravens complete yet another comeback. Seems like they're doing this every, every week, if not every other week or game. Complete the comeback against the Minnesota Vikings. Down 24 to 10 in the third, Baltimore that is. The Ravens go on to score 24 of the next 31 points in the game, forcing into overtime where Justin Tucker puts three through the uprights with about 20 seconds left, teetering on the possibility of a tie. We haven't seen one of those in a while, it feels like. Lamar, 27 to 41, 266, three touchdowns, two interceptions, and adding 120 rushing yards. Baltimore putting up 500 total yards. The outpossessed Minnesota. By double, 46 minutes to 23 minutes. And Minnesota gave Baltimore four first downs from penalties, eight for 107 yards total on the day. 
And considering Baltimore had eight penalties as well for only 67 yards, that's embarrassing. Hollywood Brown starting to show himself as a receiver in the league, not, not like the number one or anything crazy. Man, right when you think the Vikings can get it together and get a nice win out, they fucking choke like it's Matt Ryan and the gang up there in Minneapolis. How are we feeling about the Ravens here? I don't want to give too much. The Steelers are next, so then we'll we'll get the whole we'll get the whole idea of this division after. But what are your feelings about the Ravens with this game? And is it time to blow it up in Minnesota? Redo. Dumbzo. Kind of look at what I was calling about the Atlanta Falcons last year. Is it time to kind of blow up that team? I'm not, it's tough just because this defense is already old in Minnesota. We talked about that going into the season, that there's a lot of veterans there. We weren't sure how they were going to do. And they've played all right. The whole team is a collective whole. All five of those losses have come by one possession. And that's just insane when you think about it, that this team is that close to being in the mix in the NFC North. Instead, I, I mean, I think they're going to have a real difficult time making it into this expanded playoff now with seven teams. That's unfortunate. As for the Ravens, though, I want to start with this, is that for a long time, myself included, hand up, I was one of the people that were like, if you put this Ravens team behind, they're not going to be able to come back because Lamar the passer is not there yet. Well, a couple things just to prove me wrong and shove it up my hoop. He has the best passer rating out of everybody in the NFL with a clean pocket this year. And I understand that's easy. I, I know that it's when you should be at your best. But to be at the top of that category, of any quarterback category, with how talented the position is right now in the league, tells you how good that guy is. And not only that, they've come behind this year three separate times now when they've trailed by 10 points or more. So they've at least shown that they can be resilient and they can throw the ball a little bit. So yeah, this Ravens team is better than I expected them to be considerably. And they're getting closer to the point where I'm willing to say that they're at least a Super Bowl threat again. Because for a long time, I, I've i told you that I thought that they were a team that could win the North because they're built for regular season. And when they get to the postseason, be in trouble. They're getting to the point now where maybe, at least from a skill set perspective, they will be one of the favorites. So you doing the choking sign. I'll let you keep going from here if you want to say anything else we go into the next game. I will throw some stats at you guys once we talk about the gambling here. That's going to kind of blow your mind. I don't think that they sh- Yes, there should be a Super Bowl aura around this team. I just think that outside of the quarterback position, there's a lot better complete teams in that division. The next game to wrap up the AFC North, the Chicago Bears lose a close one to the Pittsburgh Steelers. The Bears fight back from down 20-6, score 21 in the fourth quarter, only for Big Ben to lead a drive for Chris Boswell to hit a 50-plus yard field goal. Here comes Chicago, and they miss a 65-yard field goal. It looks just like Justin Tucker's, except when it hit the, when it hit the crossbar, it went forward. It didn't hey, bounce back. I figured you'd want to know this. If you didn't see the video, the ball actually lands in the middle of the end zone. It never hit the crossbar. It was an optical illusion. No way. It was short by like 10 yards. I've been living a lie like this? Yes. I did the that's same thing. Rough. You know, that's even better. Fuck you, Adam, because I know that they saw, you were watching like, oh, it has a chance. It has a chance. I play soccer. I know this. Boom. And it's fucking short. I love it. Nonetheless, it was it was impressive Chicago, uh, you know, being able to battle back. Easily uh, Justin Fields' best game as a pro with 291 yards, 
one touchdown, adding 45 rushing yards as well. And they were he was also the highest graded quarterback this week, according to PFF. So take that with a grain of salt, even though it's really the only grading scale we have. We bitch about it, how it's not credible, yet we have nothing else to fall back on. I find that hilarious. The reason Chicago lost was a bullshit taunting penalty where the ref clearly puts his hips out to get checked by Cassius Marsh, a player who just got pulled up from the practice squad hours earlier to play in this game. That was about 3.18 left. He gives Pittsburgh the ball back or allows Pittsburgh to retain the ball. The rest is history. Wally, how'd you feel about Justin, your boy? Any real thoughts about Pittsburgh? And you know what the real question I want you to answer and talk longest about. The fuck are the refs doing? The talking calls are miserable as it is. Then we have this ref fucking the NFL's fixed. How could you tell me different? Well, (laughs) so I'm going to start here. I'll start with the Bears because a lot of good things here. If you're a Bears fan, a lot of encouraging things, maybe not necessarily for this year and where this season's going, but from long term, is that Justin Fields definitely looked very good in this game. He made some incredible throws, some throws that we haven't seen rookies make in games this year yet. If you outgain anybody in the NFL by 130 yards or more, you are probably going to win the game. So the Bears leaving this feeling probably pretty disgusted that they came out on the wrong side of this. Held the Steelers to only 280 yards, and I'll get to their offense here in a minute. But this Bears team, if they can get a line for Justin Fields, there's no reason to think that the NFC North can't run through Chicago after Aaron Rodgers leaves. And I know that's not something you would want to hear or Packer fans want to hear, but there are those signs right now to believe that this can happen. Going back to before, you gain 130 yards more than your opposition. If you have 12 penalties for 115 yards, that's going to quickly evaporate the difference that you just had gained for yourself. And we'll go now. I'll go to the Steelers before I get to the refs because I think the refs, it's something we need to talk about. But the Steelers, the defense is unbelievable. I, I love this defense. I know they gave up 414 yards here, but I just loved watching TJ Watt. I love watching this defense. And this defense with a good quarterback could be a Super Bowl winner. And if that means it's Aaron Rodgers that go hell-bent trying to get him in the offseason, or if they say, we'll go after someone else in free agency, or if we're going to go after one of these young studs in, in the draft, that'll be interesting to see which direction they choose to go, because that's how I feel like they are. I think they're a quarterback away. And I'm not sure if you guys saw this on, on the game, but the FPI, ESPN, for whatever it's worth, excluding the game that the Steelers play the Lions this upcoming week, which would be crazy because they'll start 6-3. and three. We'll all be like high as, high as a kite, excited for them, excited for them, excited for the production they've shown, until you then realize the following eight games, their last eight games of the season, they have less than a 50% win probability. Take that, like you said, with a grain of salt with these kind of metrics. But yeah, the Steelers, man, I, I don't know. We'll, we'll see. I think that we'll learn a lot about them over the next month. But the refs, I dude, so I get it, and I'm thrilled that the, the Bears were able to score a touchdown after the, the taunting before everything fell apart for them. But this this is bad. And I know that the ref immediately came out after the game and said, hey, no, I threw the flag for what he was doing to the sideline opposed to the actual contact. It's about optics. And whether that was the true matter of it or not, 
referees leaning into contact for players just to see an immediate flag thrown out. There's a reason why people like you, people like my buddy Ty, people out there in the world that truly believe that Vegas and the NFL, all these sports, there's a fix to it. You're not going to get rid of that stuff when you have referees just outwardly doing this. And it was a little alarming. It, it truly was, especially when you find out that this referee and officiating crew have been involved in three separate games this year with a call that could have influenced the actual result of the game. That just, it's scary. And we saw it happen in the NBA, what, 15, 20 years ago. With uh, You might remember, it's like McDonough or something like that, the referee, Dunleavy or something like that. The, uh, whatever. You, you guys know at home what I'm talking about. I'm not the NBA guy here. The NFL, last thing they need is for people to start calling for an investigation in the referees. I don't think it'll happen on one call, but this was an all-time bad one we'll remember for a while. But let's go into our next game where the Kansas City Chiefs hosted your Aaron Rodgers-less Green Bay Packers. And I've got one good news for you coming out of this. I know the Chiefs won, but you and I were sitting just as close to the field as Jordan Love's mom and girlfriend were on Sunday. I can't believe that. And then I saw an even funnier thing about it where everybody's like, how can you possibly put the family of this guy making his NFL debut at quarterback in the top row of your stadium. And I saw the top comment was, well, the Packers aren't used to having to ask for quarterbacks, family members, tickets. So I love it. I I love it. Absolutely. So what do I do with my hands? Oh yeah. yeah, Fuck it. Here's some seats. What do you mean? What do you mean you're touching the stadium walls? (laughs) Oh God. Well, I'm not even going to talk much about it. I'm going to let you go and spew on about your game. I have to imagine we didn't learn much about you guys anyways. If anything, we learned that the Chiefs still have a lot of offensive problems. But go off on your Packers, my guy. This was a rough game. And it wasn't, you know, as a Packers fan, I'm going into this game expecting a loss. Expecting a big fat L. And what I saw was Patrick Mahomes in that offense is exactly who we thought they were. They are not jumping over that. They don't have a game that's like, yeah, finally we can get it. We can get it back together. We can get it back on track. This offense is dog shit. Plain and simple. Azul Douglas and Kevin King were the starting cornerbacks for Green Bay. And you threw one touchdown. You threw 166 yards on that defense. Kenny Clark was out of that game for a little bit. No Jair Alexander. No Zadarius Smith, which I've been saying for weeks. But I'm still going to resort back to that. The one thing that we did learn about the Green Bay Packers is that defense is real. Yes, we've been dogging Pat Mahomes and that Kansas City Chiefs offense, yet they're still top five in basically every category, including turnovers and interceptions. They're still putting up points and yards. They are just not getting a win because they cannot stop anybody. That is a big win for the Green Bay Packers defense. Joe Barry, there's a lot of question marks in here. Not only is he having this defense play, there is a – incredible amount of growth in the linebacker position. And they've gotten so much better. You can tell from a calendar year ago how much better those linebackers are. Now from the offensive side of the ball, where you at, Gutenkust? Let's go back here to, I don't know, mid-August with the whole fire Goot tweet. Let's bring that back. Jordan Love is not that guy. You're not that guy, pal. Simply put, Jordan Love is dog shit. But at the same time, Matt LaFleur, you did not set up your backup quarterback 
your young backup quarterback, who's essentially a rookie, didn't even dress all of last year. He didn't change up the scheme. He didn't change up a game plan or form a game plan for him. He was not built for success. So something I was really excited to look for and how Matt LaFleur was going to construct that offense, it did not pan out here on Sunday. But Jordan Love put up more yards than Patrick Mahomes. 190 yards, 19 to 34 passing. One less completion with three less attempts. With 30 more yards. Clearly, Green Bay needs Aaron Rodgers. If Aaron was in that game, this is a 30-13 to 13 game, maybe. And I haven't even talked about the atrocity of the special team Green Bay had. Missed field goal, blocked field goal, muffed punt. And kudos to the defense, that muffed punt left Kansas City at the 9-yard line. They only got three points out of it. If everything's perfect, Green Bay wins this game 13-10. And here, obviously, the domino effect, butterfly effect, everything will change. If that block field goal doesn't happen, if that muff punt doesn't happen. Green Bay had the opportunity to win this game, and that's what's so heartbreaking, knowing that they were going to lose, but being competitive throughout the whole game and then still losing, it it, it blows. You, you, you're right about the Packers. As for the Chiefs, I'll just say offense for them, big question marks, but they get the Raiders in this next week, and we will learn a lot about both of those teams after that game. Let's talk about your Raiders. Enough about me venting. Not that you've, you know, vented a lot about your Raiders recently. Wink, slap, and tickle had a shit on you here a little bit. But after an emotional week, the Raiders go to New York. Unfortunately, do not get the win. And the Raiders' offense did not look good without Henry Ruggs here. Yes, you still got that man, Darren Waller. But when you have him one-dimensional like that and force them to run against that, it's a pretty decent rush defense or a defense overall. You can't. You don't want to make Derek Carr one-dimensional like that, and it and it proved that deep threat is what's needed. Henry Ruggs now with the addition of Deshaun Jackson, hopefully that offense will open up here a little bit more. But I'll give you that treatment as well. This is your team. You know better than anyone uh, listening or on the podcast here. What were your thoughts and takeaways? And do you have worries, if any, heading into that divisional matchup against the Chiefs you were talking about this week? See, not really, and I'll tell you the reason why I don't have a lot of worries. It's because the expectations all of a sudden, I feel like, are significantly different than they were a few weeks ago, where a few weeks ago, I truly would have told you, with Henry Ruggs, the way we'd been playing, that we were a team that could have won the AFC West, and at that point, because the AFC just keeps knocking each other down, who knows, you could potentially be looking at a number one seed because the AFC, everybody has five, six losses, now, all of a sudden, I'm desperately just hoping for a wild card berth. I don't know if it'll happen. I think Deshaun Jackson's going to have to come in and make an immediate impact in the job that Henry Ruggs did. And a lot of people that watch Ruggs are only looking at his stats and be like, how can this guy be simply, how can that guy be as big of a contributor when, if you look at his stats, they weren't anything to write home about? It's the same thing I've been telling you. It's the same thing I've been telling everybody as long as I can remember is that it's all about that taking the top off a of defense. You want your safeties to not be cheating forward for the run or these short passes because there's no deep threat. And that's what happened on Sunday. Without Henry Ruggs, you looked at a Raiders team that had one completed pass to a wide receiver that wasn't named Hunter Renfro. That's not a recipe to win games. When your slot receiver is your only receiver that can find a way to get open. And it's third and Renfro we're talking about here. We're talking about the guy that's not getting too many yards after catch. You need that when you're going to try to win. And you got to tip your cap to the Giants. Xavier McKinney especially. He had two interceptions in this game. 
one of them being a pick six to start the half that gave them the 17-13 lead. They never looked back from. But this Raiders team, they desperately need Deshaun Jackson to get in there and make a difference with that deep ball because if he doesn't do it, this Raiders team is dead in the water. I do want to say about the Giants, though, and I think this is also an indictment on the, the Raiders not being able to win this game. Also, it makes me happy because this never was even possible a few years ago. But the Giants won this game with fewer than 100 passing yards. Fewer than 100 passing yards in 2021. And you win the game? Defense for the Giants, they came up to play. They showed out. Running game looked pretty good. Made up for Daniel Jones. Not, like I said, completing too much there on Sunday. They're going to at least be a tough game to, to play this year. They're not going anywhere. But don't be surprised if you see another game like this happen. If you didn't say it already, Devontae Booker with a revenge game against your squad. And if you did, I want to double down on that. That's embarrassing Daniel Jones is doing this. And that defense, which we know is the only reason that this team can stay competitive, this is nothing new. Maybe they're going to make that late surge. I don't see Dallas falling where maybe it's a divisional conversation nor a wild card, but maybe they can make some noise in the NFC East and at least keep that entertaining a little bit. And the next game that we have here on the schedule the Buffalo Bills losing to the Jags, which is insane because Josh Allen was easily the best player on the field on Sunday. Yeah, you know you had to make the joke. Josh Allen, the defensive end linebacker for the Jacksonville Jaguars, becomes the first player in history to sack a quarterback with the same name as him, intercept a quarterback with the same name as him, and recover a fumble from a quarterback as the same name as him. Jacksonville defense leading the surge here. And this Buffalo offensive line was struggling all day. Only 72 yards rushing between the three ball carriers and three turnovers. And Josh Allen, who quarterbacks the Buffalo Bills, not the stud I was just describing, 31 of 47, 264 with two interceptions, as well as being sacked four times. That's why we're talking about how bad that offensive line is for the Buffalo Bills. Wally, what the hell happened? I was watching this game strictly because Kylie made me put it on because her family are Bills fans. And I have Josh Allen as my fantasy quarterback, which I lost by five points. If you have, if you put up half the points you typically do, Josh Allen, I'd be winning this game. You fucked me, guy. You fucked me. I look you in the face like Scarface. I told you not to fuck me, Josh. And you did it. Wally, what did you think of this game? I think we're both on the same boat. This was a one-off. Well, man, Jacksonville, surprising. It might be a one-off, but now we're looking at a Buffalo team that over the last month has not played very well. And then as a whole, then you start looking at the body of work even earlier in the year, and you can start noticing a little bit of problems here and there that don't make the recipe for a team that can win a Super Bowl. And just for one of those, and I know this better than anybody as a Raiders fan, but they had 12 penalties, 118 yards. You're not going to win too many games. Who was it? I think the Bears we were talking about earlier. Yeah, and the Steelers. Very similar situation. You had about 150 yards more than your opposition here. But because of all these penalties and very much ill-opportune penalties, bad timing penalties, talking third down for the opposition. We're talking get a first down on offense. It's bad, bad, bad right now. Very undisciplined and very uncharacteristic. As for the Jaguars, I'm happy, I guess, that they got the win. Because the defense played well and Josh Allen deserved it. 
But the offense, again, is just continuing to really struggle, too. I mean, they only had over just over 200 yards. It's a really bad week for offense in the NFL as a collective whole. I, I don't know. I, I'm, I do think this is a game that you tentatively forget about. But the Bills all of a sudden are only a half a game up against the New England Patriots. And they cannot afford to dilly-dally around. Because that Patriots team, just very fundamental. They're not going to typically beat too many super teams, but they're going to not have these kind of games like this where they're going to stumble against a team they should beat. And that's where Buffalo's got to be careful. 218 total yards from Jacksonville to win this game. That's embarrassing. They didn't have their top running back in James Robinson. Trevor Lawrence is beating you. He leaves with an ankle injury. T.J. Beathard almost had it. I think he had about two or three pass attempts. Trevor Lawrence comes back in. Love seeing that grittiness, that willingness to play through that injury in that young quarterback. That's awesome. I think a good way to throw us into our final game of last week here is to mention that this is the fourth team we are going to talk about with fewer than 300 yards that won a game. And not only did this team win a game with under 300 yards, this team blew out and dominated the other team with fewer than 200 yards in this game. The Titans really went into L.A. and beat up on the Rams. They win this game, I think it was 28-16, to 16, but it didn't even feel that close for most of the game. I mean, the Titans had a defensive score in this game. They had a pick six that helped lead the way to victory. And they had also another thing that we don't talk a lot on this show about, but Brett Kern, the punter for the Titans, he had three separate punts of his five that were down inside the 20-yard line in this game. They dominated not only the field position game, but they also forced turnovers. They were able to capitalize on the penalties that the Rams did. Stop me if you've heard this before, and this is a running theme now, but they also had 12 penalties for 115 yards in this game, three of which resulted in a first down for the Titans that kept drives alive and gave up five sacks. They just couldn't get out of their own way in this one. Really couldn't. Titans now have a stranglehold not only on their division, but they also are one game over the Ravens and two games up over everybody else in the rest of the AFC for that coveted number one seed in that bye. The Titans now. I know that we've come to the point where this isn't a rub your face in it. The Titans are likely going to win this division. Are you ready to sit there and say that they are a potential AFC winner, at least in terms of the regular season? This Titans team surprised me on Sunday night. I think I can go for everybody, and they were just following the trend of the underdogs that won outright, and this was the last underdog to win it. This Titans team is fun. Their defense is a lot better than it was last year, but they didn't really raise the bar too high in 2020. Kevin Byard, Bayard, Bayard, whatever the fuck, KB, KBCB. Right there, that's Kevin Byard, cornerback. Making a case for Defensive Player of the Year here. That's a pick six. Leading his team to a victory and leading that defense. And I wouldn't say that they're the favorite in the division right now. We'd have to really look at the schedule. We'll see if Brian Tannehill is that trustworthy. And honestly, I could see them winning it because Julio Jones has been dog shit this year. Maybe these last nine games when they get it going because they're not dependent on the rush game in Derrick Henry. Now, the Tennessee Titans are giving up a lot of sacks, so I don't know how much I can trust them and that offensive line to produce offensively in the passing game. 
but only time will tell. This Rams team really has us scratching our heads, though. I think the NC has a good shot again that first round bye. This Rams team, maybe we need to take a couple steps back here. Just find me someone on the list of their wins that has more than two to three wins right now. Or at least have one or more victories when they had played them. This Rams team is beating up on smaller competition, and their losses come against playoff caliber teams. One of those losses in the division against the Arizona Cardinals where they got embarrassed the last time. Maybe we should hop off the train in L.A. I'm more likely to hop on the Tennessee train than the Rams train at this point. And I think that Tennessee is a real contender to get that number one spot. As long as their defense continues to play like this, they'll go as far as their defense will take them. I think Ryan Tannehill can still produce as a quarterback at this level. People were giving him a lot of love before he went to Tennessee. Then when he was handing the ball off to Derrick Henry, everyone is throwing a lot of hate at him. I think it's Ryan Tannehill's time time to shine here and prove why he's that $100 million man under center. My last thing, and it's a little bit, I want to hear your reaction, but it's, I believe that Tennessee has a better chance to get the one seed in the bye than it is that the Rams win their division, but I also think that the Rams are more likely to win a Super Bowl than the Tennessee Titans are. I agree with you. I think Tennessee's road in the AFC is going to be way harder. We've talked about it. To the AFC West and the AFC North, they can make playoffs themselves to represent the AFC because that's how, you know, we'll, we'll talk here week 16, week 17. Tennessee has a way harder road to even get to the Super Bowl. And with that, that's going to wrap us up here on the week nine recap. Let's get into the week 10 bets. Before we do that, Wally, who's on the bye week? How did we do last week? Yeah, we'll start with the bye weeks this upcoming week. We have the Bears, the Cincinnati Bengals, the New York Giants, and the Houston Texans. So we are only looking at 14 games, but that's all right. We'll, we'll make 14 work at this time of year. But yeah, no, last week, Stephen, you went 8-8. Eight and eight. You started, ironically, 1-7. You looked bad. And then you finished off the week 7-1, and one, and I did the complete opposite here. I had a great first half of the week and then had a terrible collapse at the end. I am going 12 and 14. So this is about a third straight week now that you and I are hovering around breaking even. I'd be down a few units here. You'd probably be down probably close to one. But this is going to have to be a week that we eventually get off the schneid. One of us is going to. And I tell you what, this first game is a really good way to start. I think it's a rat line. I think that they're daring people like you and me to do it. And from the looks of it, we're going to. The Baltimore Ravens travel to Miami. And they're a six-point road favorite where the over-under is set at 46.5. That number seems really low. And that stuns me that they would do this. And the only thing I can think of is this is the proof that Vegas knows. this. If you are one of the people in the world that actually believe that the NFL is fixed... This is a game that you put money on the Miami spread. This is when you might even sprinkle money line just because there's not a chance in hell they win this game. This is going to end up being a backdoor cover. I can already tell it's going to bite me in the ass and be a backdoor cover, but I don't know how the Ravens don't thoroughly dominate this team from start to finish. Agreed, and I'll show you why you were having that gut feeling of why it's going to be a backdoor cover. Now the Ravens, they're the first in yardage for rushing offense. Number one in the league. That's where Miami struggles. Are middle of the pack, 17th in that category. Now, Miami and Baltimore both, yardage-wise, have bottom three passing defenses. 
with Miami giving up three more touchdowns in the past game than what Baltimore does, 17 to 14. So I expect Baltimore and Lamar to do what they do on the ground, Lamar to have a polished passing game, not like he did, what, two years ago in the season opener where he hung like five or six touchdowns on It was like 59 to 9 or something weird. It was fucking bad. Everyone was ready to crown Lamar Jackson as that spectacle at quarterback. Even though he he is, everyone kind of hopped off that schneid about making him the passing quarterback. Regardless, I expect them to feast. Dolphins defense to struggle on facing them on the ground. But if Tua does end up playing, I can understand why that backdoor cover is floating in the back of your mind. I can see them, I wouldn't say competitive, but I can see them scoring a touchdown to really fuck us for no reason. With that being said, I'm still going to pick Baltimore as a six-point favorite in this game. I just see them really starting to roll. I don't see where they need to come back in this game, regardless if it's on a short week traveling to Miami. I like Baltimore minus six here. Next game, we'll keep it in the state, yet out of the state. The Jacksonville Jaguars are going up to Indianapolis to visit the Colts in a divisional matchup, where Indianapolis is seven and a half point favorites. The over and under is set at 47 and a half as well. I'm going to take the Colts minus seven and a half as the home favorites here. And this is why. Jacksonville is letting up the 12th least amount of rushing yards per game and the fourth most rushing touchdowns let up. But Whites in the offense should be able to take advantage of the bottom seven pass defense in the yardage, which is allowing the second best completion percentage, but have also allowed the third lowest touchdowns in the air with 11 in the league. Now, Indy has also allowed the most passing touchdowns in the league, and Jacksonville has the third lowest passing touchdown. And for that reason, that is why I'm picking the Indianapolis Colts at minus seven and a half and the money line against the visiting Jaguars. I have the Colts too. It's going to be really hard for me to bet on Jacksonville this year, even coming off that win. The offense still hasn't looked great. I think the Colts defense are going to be able to shut it down. And it looks like the Colts finally have something clicking here. So Colts cover and win outright. The Browns are going to New England where the Patriots are one and a half point favorites. But I'm taking the Browns plus one and a half. And if you're taking the Browns plus one and a half, you might as well take them on the money line too. This is going to be one of the best games of the weekend. And clearly Vegas agrees. These teams seem to be very even in a sense that they both have similar philosophies. They're teams that just care about getting the win. They're both run-centric. They both have quarterbacks that, that know what they're asked to do right now. And that is a dream scenario for both these teams. The difference is I feel like that Cleveland Browns locker room has to feel like a weight has lifted. They finally don't have that black cloud around their, their entire facility in Odell Beckham Jr. And you could see it on Sunday when the reaction of that team going against the Bengals. I joked with my dad, who's a Bengals fan, about it on Sunday. It was the worst possible week to play the Browns. It's right after they decide to kick Odell to the curb. And I don't think this following week is going to be much better for the Patriots. I think the Browns win. I think they cover. And I think you're going to see more of the same from that offense as in very balanced and very spread out. Nick Chubb, John Kelly, and Felton, all their running backs have all tested positive. Kareem Hunt's not expected that. So Dearness Johnson may be the solo running back in that offense here. Now, this is a rushing offense that's number two in the league with 160 yards per game, right behind the division rival, the Baltimore Ravens. Going up against a New England rush defense that has given up 110 yards on the ground per game, but only five touchdowns all year. 
Now let's go to the passing game. This is the most interesting matchup here. Cleveland offense in the passing game, 24th in yards, 15th in completion percentage, 27th in touchdowns, and giving up tied for fifth most sacks in the league. Now this is the counterpart to Matt Judon, who's fifth in the league with nine sacks. J.C. Jackson, five interceptions on the year. That is leading the NFL in interceptions at 13 this year. We all know that Baker is going to turn the ball over if he does it, if you give him that opportunity to, if that's either fumbling or intercepting him. And as well as 59.6 completion percentage. Best in the league. That's what the opposing quarterback's completion percentage is against that secondary. Now let's flip it over here. Cleveland's defense. Not too fucking shabby. Third in yards per game. Ninth in passing yards per game. 27 sacks, which is tied for second. And that's led by Miles Garrett, who has three more than Matt Judon sitting there at 12. And this New England offense, 20th in the passing yards. 19th in rushing yards per game. Now, if Nick Chubb is starting this, absolutely. We are going Cleveland plus one and a half and money line. With Nick Chubb still not starting, I'm a little bit more skeptical of picking that, yet I am picking that. Cleveland plus one and a half and the money line. New England only loses at home. This is on the road. Maybe I'd be thinking a little bit differently. But as long as Cleveland can get that running game opened up and not make Baker the sole reason or what you're riding on to win this game, strictly on because of what New England's pass defense has done these past few weeks, that's how Cleveland will win this game. But I think strictly because of their defense as well is why I'm going to give the nod on here without Nick Chubb in that backfield. Cleveland plus one and a half in the money line. The next game that we have here on the slate for Week 10, Atlanta Falcons are visiting the Dallas Cowboys, where the Cowboys are nine-point favorites, coming off a 14-point loss to the Denver Broncos, who we're also visiting. I like the Falcons at plus nine. I also like Dallas's money line and the over, which was set at 55. Atlanta, bottom 10 in rushing yards per game allowed, where Dallas is number three on the offensive side of the ball. Yes, the interceptions are pretty, Dallas is a bottom eight in pass yardage per game allowed. They've allowed 14 passing touchdowns, which is tied for six most. And on the offensive side of the ball for the Falcons, Atlanta's top 12 in passing yards per game and tied for eighth most in touchdowns in the passing game. Cordell Patterson, they can run the ball. They can flex it out to him. Kyle Pitts is where all the attention is going to go to. Matt Ryan's actually had a solid couple game stretch here. Again, I think Dallas should win this game, but Atlanta will be able to keep up with their passing game and on the poorest pass defense of this Dallas Cowboys team. Dallas needs a running game to really take off for a safe victory. And I, if anything out of those three bets I give you, I really, really like the over in this game at 55. I'm agreeing with you on Atlanta and Dallas. I have Atlanta plus nine at Dallas Moneyline. I don't have the over though, but you're kind of wanting to talk me into it. I'm going to do it just because let's ride. We're going to triple up together on this game. We're going Atlanta plus nine, Dallas Moneyline in the over. Steven, you seem passionate enough about the over. I will ride with you here. The Falcons are better than people think they are, and that includes me. Cordero Patterson has finally found an offense in Arthur Smith here that is using him correctly. They know how to use him in multiple facets of the offense to get the most out of him. And I feel like for years, we've seen him bounce from team to team and see flashes of it where Atlanta's finally learned how to fully harness that. They'll keep this game close. 
Dallas is going to, I think, struggle a little bit. You're going to still see a little bit of that rush from this last week, the, the little bit of struggles here. But it looked like they started getting a, a little bit figured out towards the end of that game. I think there are a lot of points scored here, too. And obviously, you and Vegas agree. It's 55 is a lot in an NFL over-under. But again, you said you're riding, so I will ride with you. Our next game, Buffalo is minus 13 and a half, traveling to New York to face the Jets. The over-under here is 47 and a half. I have the Jets plus 13 and a half. The Buffalo Bills money line here. I think the Jets have proven over the last two weeks that they are kind of starting to, to click a little bit. And when you give these other quarterbacks, not named Zach Wilson, a full week of practice as the starter to get prepared, this offense has been a little fluid. And while the defense has been all but terrible in this last few weeks, I think they do enough. I think the Bills are going to continue one more week of struggling with very poor competition. It stays close, but the Bills ultimately get a win. It's a division game, I'd say, by about a touchdown. Jets cover, Bills win. Boy, I hate to be that guy. Talking about the New York Jets, the Buffalo Bills coming off that embarrassing loss to the Jacksonville Jaguars. I think they bounce back. Buffalo did not cover the double-digit spread last week, but they covered the double-digit spread the week before, or at least two weeks prior, whenever it may be. Excuse me. The Jets, we don't know who's starting at quarterback. Salah has come out and said Mike White is expected to start against the number one passing defense in the league. Have fun. Josh Allen in that offense. This is a bounce-back game against a team that is bottom six in everything. Yards allowed. Passing yards per game allowed. Rushing yards per game allowed. Touchdowns. They've given up the second most touchdowns. This team is going to dismantle. Buffalo Bills are going to dismantle the New York Jets. And I think get back in that win column. And hopefully not have to worry about that damn ugly weird cousin that always comes around and only hangs out with the grandparents. And that's the Bill Belichick-led New England Patriots that I'm referring to in metaphor metaphoring eyes metaphorical eyes metaphorical metaphorically speaking about jesus thank god for your doctoring in english buffalo bills minus 13 and a half and i'm going to double down and take their take the over in this game as well when i like spreads that big i'm assuming that they're going to cover cover that and after only putting up zero touchdowns and three field goals in the week prior i expect that buffalo bills offense to fire on all cylinders the next game the new orleans saints at the Tennessee Titans, where Tennessee is a three-point favorite, over-under is set at 44.5. Why would you not take the Tennessee Titans right now? They are hot. There's too many question marks surrounding that New Orleans Saints offense. And with that Alvin Kamara injury that could potentially be threatening to the horsepower that they have there in New Orleans, Tennessee is flying right now. They are rolling. Every time we think that this is the game that they're going to lose, they, they keep winning them. And they keep rolling. Ryan Tannehill can get it together against this New Orleans Saints pass defense. And I'm going to call it Julio Jones' breakout game again. He had 128 yards against the Seattle Seahawks in Week 2. Has not eclipsed over 60 yards since. This is the game. Julio Jones coming back, reminding the New Orleans Saints why they are happy that he had to lead the division here in the offseason. Tennessee minus three, and I'm adding the money line in, into this as well. This is a really weird week because I've been looking down here, even beyond the game that we're picking right now. I don't ever remember you and me agreeing as often as we do 
I don't know if that's good or bad. We'll find out, I suppose. But I agree yet again. Talk to me Sunday around 7.30. Exactly. I'm I'm with you again, though. I have Tennessee. I don't think that New Orleans is all that good. And I think that Tennessee has just proven time and time again to look at these situations that we're so quick to write them off or expect a loss. I mean, they lose that opener to Arizona by 25. And I even started doing the big old like cartoon gulp. Are the Colts going to win this division? Or are they going to win this easily? The Tennessee Titans have only since then won every game, even after losing Derrick Henry and using the ghost of Adrian Peterson now. But I, I think the Titans do it again. I, I think they win. I think they covered a two and a half here and they get it done. I don't think the Saints have nearly enough to keep up with this offense even as talented as that defense is, I think they're going to give up enough points to like wide receiving duo like this that the Titans win and cover. Our next game, we have the defending Super Bowl champions going to Washington, where the last time they played them, Taylor Heineke put his name on the surface of the world. Everybody was ready to say this guy should start with Washington for a while or at least figure it out. Thought Tampa Bay might even lose that game last year. Since then, these teams have gone in completely different directions. The Tampa Bay Bucks have won a Super Bowl and have lost, what, one or two games since then? On the flip, you were looking at Washington, who since that playoff game had pretty high expectations and have just fallen flat on their face. I understand the five and a half being probably because of that wild card game and seeing what Washington was able to do from a matchup perspective. I don't care. I, I'm taking Tampa Bay to cover the five and a half, and I'm going to take that money line too. Steven, do you have any idea what's up with this line? Because I'm I'm trying I'm trying. I, it's just this one's another rat line. I'm not sure what I'm missing here. Don't know. Don't care. Selling my unborn firstborn child to the Tampa Bay minus five and a half and their money line. You summed it up great. Since that game, it's a tale of two cities. Tampa Bay took off. Washington went down the shitter. This is Tampa Bay's last competitive game. I feel like this one's kind of circled around just another way to put a chip on Tom Brady's shoulder. The same Tom Brady that's coming off a bye week. Good fucking luck, Washington. Tampa Bay minus five and a half. There's really no reason for us to continue talking about this. The Detroit Lions are visiting Heinz Field in Pittsburgh where the Steelers are eight and a half point favorites. Over under is set at 43 and a half. In Pittsburgh, it's time to fuck up and, and lose a game you, you don't deserve. They've been too close with a Geno Smith-led Seahawks team to get a last-second field goal to win that in prime time. So needing a, not a last-second, but a field goal with a with seconds left, what, like 30 seconds left, somewhere around there, to be the Chicago Bears-led team where your defense should have been dismantling Justin Fields in that piss-poor offensive line. A whole possession? A whole possession. In their four last games, they have lost by under... They've lost by one possession. I'm taking Detroit on this. And you know what? Detroit plus eight and a half. And I'm taking their fucking money line too. Detroit Lions one pride in the Steel City. Eat a bag of dicks, big Ben Raplisberger. The Lions are coming to get their first victory. And it's going to be so sweet. Shout out to my boy, Kyle Butson, Brock Chamberlain. This is for y'all. I am going to also agree with you on the Lions plus eight and a half, not on the money line. The Steelers are going to win this game. I think it's going to be close, though. I think that this Lions team, 
makes this a four-quarter game. I, I think that the Steelers' offense, it feels like the NFL equivalent to the Big Ten where you're seeing just a very, very good defense feeling squandered by a very mediocre offense. And I, mediocre refers to average. So that's not even a fair thing to say. This Steelers' offense is bad, and we know whose shoulders it's on. It's on Big Ben. The Steelers better be careful in this game, though. I don't think that you having the Lions win this game is out of the realms of possibility. At the end of the day, this Steelers defense is going to force enough turnovers to keep that offense in a position to cover. I just don't think they do it. I think the Lions, I think the Lions hang tight here and the Steelers win some kind of really gross game, like a 20 to 17 kind of score. So if I was going to take the over-under, I probably would take the under too, but I, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to stick to, to what I said. The Steelers win, but the Lions cover. And then we'll go to your division again, playing against mine. The Vikings are going to L.A. to face the Chargers, where the Chargers are a two-and-a-half-point favorite right now. This game is going to be another one that is going to be tightly contested throughout. The Vikings, I said earlier, all five of their losses have come by one possession. And the Chargers, you never know what you're going to get from week to week. One week, it looks like they might be a Super Bowl contender. And the next, it looks like they might be lucky to sneak into the playoffs. I think you're going to see more of the former here. You're going to see the Super Bowl contender-looking team. The Chargers are going to win this game. And somewhere like a field goal. I think it's going to be like a 31-24 kind of game. Similar to the game that Minnesota played in last week. And unfortunately for them, I think that they lose and come out on the wrong side of it yet again. Finally, we can disagree on one bet. I like Minnesota plus two and a half here. Well, I don't, I'm not sold on Minnesota plus two and a half. I want to wait for that line to grow a little bit more. But, you know, for the sake of the podcast, I'm going to take plus two and a half for Minnesota. And I'm also going to take their money line. I'm going to do a little switch and loop here up on the rundown. You know why? Minnesota loves running that ball. And any opportunity they have to be able to hand it off to Dalvin Cook or Alexander Madsen, depending on how this Dalvin Cook situation is going to go this week, if he is going to play or not, the Minnesota Vikings can get an upset here, I guess, and what the smaller version of an upset. They're a top-nine rushing team averaging 125 yards on the ground, going up against a defense allowing 160 on the ground. Yet, Minnesota's just right there. I think they're like two spots above them at 136 yards per game on the ground they're allowing. So biggest takeaway is if you have Austin Eckler, Dalvin Cook, or Alexander Madsen on your roster for fantasy, you are sitting fucking pretty. If you have them both somehow, you are living lavish, my friend. But I like Minnesota being able to, yet again, exploit this Chargers rush defense that cannot stop a nosebleed. I will give the Chargers credit on the passing defensive side of the ball here. Third lowest yards per game, tied for the second lowest touchdowns allowed with only 10. And Minnesota is middle of the pack in all of those categories, yet they're tied for second in sacks at 27. So they can get out to the quarterback. Well, that offensive line's a little bit of a question mark for that Chargers team. But Justin Herbert will be able to expose that secondary for Minnesota. But don't let that fool you. I'm still going on the Vikings bandwagon to win this game. Because Minnesota, when they're down like this over the past three years, they only win games they don't deserve to win. This is one of them. Right when you think the Chargers are back on track, we're about to derail them. Minnesota plus two and a half. We've had to grow a little bit. Fuck around and sprinkle it on the money line as well. 
The Carolina Panthers are flying out west to the Arizona Cardinals in the desert where they are 10-point favorites, over-under set at 44.5. Kyler Murray's looking like he is good to go. D-Hop, not so much. He's considered day-to-day, week-to-week. We will see how that hamstring injury is going to go. Regardless, P.J. Walker is your starting quarterback as the Carolina Panthers. That offensive line has been rough to watch, rough to witness, even with CMC back. What has Arizona done? Lost to one of the top teams in the NFC. They flip it around. Basically don't have their whole, half their offensive roster of skill position players and smoke the Niners. Yes, Carolina's defense and their passing defense is their bright side of the team here. I do not think that's enough because I don't think P.J. Walker will be able to get it done on the offensive side of the ball here on Sunday. We'll see if my foot can fit in my mouth here. We all know it's been doing pretty well there after my Lamar Jackson slander at the beginning of the year. Arizona minus 10. I'm also going to take their money line and parlay that together, Wally. We're back agreeing with each other. The Cardinals are going to win this game, and I think they're going to win pretty easily. So I have the money line as well. I just... Carolina, I don't care who their quarterback is, if it's P.J. Walker or Sam Darnold, this is not the AAF, and this is not USC anymore, and apparently Sam Darnold needs to be alerted to that. It's just, he's throwing so many college-style passes, like late over the middle, late on the outside, late high, just late, 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 and I, I don't understand it. His career's over, I think, at least from a starter perspective. P.J., it'll be fun to see if he can carve out a little bit of a career here. It's a great story. I just don't think it's going to really be enough here, especially considering the fact that Arizona on both sides of the ball, even in J.J. Watt's absence, is just a solid team. We're talking really, really good. Arizona, I think, even against a a stout Carolina defense, considering the fact they'll probably be on the field 40-ish minutes, maybe 35 minutes, I think that at some point they're going to wear down, and that's why you're going to see the cover hit here. Our next game here, Seattle is going to Green Bay, who is a three-and-a-half-point favorite, and the over-under is set at 50. However, this is kind of a weird situation, and a new one for loss of down. We're not going to give you guys a pick. This right now is a line that is set when we don't know if Aaron Rodgers is going to play or not, and we didn't feel like it was probably a good idea to give you a pick we aren't comfortable with. So instead, I'm going to toss it to Steven now, our resident Packers expert here, and he's going to tell us how this game might look in both scenarios with the Aaron Rodgers absence or playing. So Steven, take it away. It's a clear indication here that Vegas thinks Aaron Rodgers is going to play because Russell Wilson's already cleared, good to go. He's going to be starting for the Seattle Seahawks. Yet, they are three and a half point underdogs to a Jordan Love-led Packers team at this point. Now, Aaron went on the Pat McAfee show here this past Tuesday. He's feeling good. Feeling, you know, he's having strong hopes that he can play. Yet, we're only, we will not know until Saturday because that's when that, I believe it's 10 days, is where he's able to get reevaluated and retested to see if he would be able to step on the field. Right now, I would just sprinkle a little bit on the Seattle plus three and a half just for shits and gigs. In case Aaron does not play, because that's a smart bet, you know that they're they're going to be favorited. I would not be surprised if this is a four to five to six point flip if Jordan Love is confirmed as the starter. Seattle, Kansas City, horrible defenses. You weren't able to do anything against Kansas City's defense. I don't have any confidence that Jordan Love would be able to do anything against the Seattle defense. 
And like Wally said, he said it perfect. I'm staying away from this game to even backtrack a little bit. Right now, if you're going to listen and listen and bet on the line right now, just sprinkle it on, not even the spread, just sprinkle it on Seattle's money line. That's at least more profitable for you. That's actually really good advice. If you are going to bet it right now, at least get that added value, and then you at least have a little bit of a chance if Rodgers is unavailable to play. It's a really good idea, Steven. Worst case scenario, you just hedged a bet by by taking the Packers or whatever it may be because you know the line's not going to grow. You know, if Aaron's name is started, that's not going to jump up to six or seven. Probably going to stay three and a half, four, maybe four and a half. Just hedge it a little bit on the money line. Don't even touch the spread of Green Bay. We'll cross that bridge when we get there. Next game that we have on the list, Kansas City Chiefs two and a half point favorites to the Vegas Raiders. And I love it. I don't want to take too much, foreshadow it at all. Vegas plus two and a half. Vegas money line in this game. The over is set at 51 and a half, but I like Derek Carr to get it going again. Yes. I had a rough go around against the New York Giants and that secondary. I couldn't think of a better game to bounce back than not only a divisional game, not only a game that would really help you control the division in a perfect world, all three of your teams lose, well, at least best based on my bets, but to get Derek Carr's confidence back, carve up that defense. I don't care if you don't have Henry Ruggs. You got Darren Waller. Good game to get Deshaun Jackson into that offense, integrated into that offense. Hunter Renfro sprinkling a little Brian Edwards. This is a good game to bounce back. Maybe Kenyon Drake, just because I picked him up off uh, off waivers of fantasy. Get him going because he's had a, a nice couple game stretch since your bye week. I like the Raiders plus two and a half. And to win this game overall, so people, which feels like it's every other week, come back to earth about, you know, maybe this Kansas City Chiefs team just isn't who we thought they were. Yes. They lose one, that's what we go to. They win one. Oh, this is the week they get back, and they lose. Well, then they win, and I think they can get back, and then they lose. This is a fat out that they're going to take against your Raiders, buddy. You got to be happy I'm picking them. I would love it so much if you were right. And this is kind of a funny moment because I put a fat stack on KC last year in the KC Raiders rivalry when you picked the Raiders to at least cover. I don't think you had money line, but you had a cover. I took the cover of Kansas City money line, but I feel way more confident picking both of these than I did last year. Understandably. Absolutely understandably. And last year it was like an eight and a half or nine and a half point spread too. So it makes sense. I see why you're feeling this way. And it's if if KC comes out and looks like they have so far this year, you're probably right. I don't know if that's going to happen though. We've seen it far too many times in the past. The Chiefs have kind of had the Raiders number in the last 10 years. And that's why it's difficult for me just purely out of experience. I think a lot of, ironically, Browns fans, Steeler fans probably would have said the same thing regardless of what side you were on going into the last week. Even though the Browns were favored, Steelers fans and Browns fans alike probably both had feelings like, hey, the Steelers have dominated this rivalry. Let's not be so quick and hasty about this. That's kind of how I feel about this. I think the Chiefs are going to win, and I think they're going to cover. I don't think that they're perfect by any means in this game, but I think that it's a step in the right direction and unfortunately, even bringing in Deshaun Jackson to practice this week, I don't know how much of a factor he will be if he'll even play. I don't. I haven't heard about that yet. Regardless, I think that you're going to see the top of the defense not be taken off like the first seven weeks of the year for the Raiders. And for that reason, the Chiefs are going to win, and they are going to cover this game. And then our last game of the week, 
The Los Angeles Rams are trying to bounce back, and so is the team they are visiting. The San Francisco 49ers are actually three-and-a-half-point home dogs to the Rams. The over-under is set at 48-and-a-half. I'm going to go with the Rams to be the team to rebound here. You're going to see Von Miller likely, assuming that his leg is better. He will be able to play in this game, and you are going to see that Rams pass rush really take on a new light. And if he meets even half of the expectations of him, it's going to be a dangerous and a very, very scary thing for any quarterback in the league to drop back against this team. I think the Rams cover. They win. I think San Francisco, I, I don't know what it is with me. I, I have a disease with San Francisco, but I think they're going to hang in there in this game and just ultimately not do enough to cover at the end. But it's going to be like a four-point game. This is like a 24-20 or 31-27 sort of ball game, Steven. Like I said earlier, that question mark around the Rams, they can only beat up on lesser opponents. San Francisco is fitting that mold. That team clearly is not the team that we've grown accustomed to, or at least what we thought when we think of Kyle Shanahan. You're just not it. I like the Rams to have a bounce back game. I don't really have anything to cover on here. Von Miller's going to be in here. Now we get to see what that defense, the first game of it, of that D-line together is going to look like. You can only double team one of them. One of them's going to fucking eat. One of them's going to disrupt it. Most likely two of them are going to, both of them are going to disrupt your offense. And I hate to be that first offensive line as your test dummies. The Rams at minus three and a half and their money line. I don't think that they will have a problem at all covering this. And I would hop on this line now sooner rather than later. Because I can only see it growing with the expectation or with the activation of Von Miller inevitably at the end of this week. With that, that is going to bring us to our final and last segment of yet another episode of Loss of Down. The prop, lock, and drop it were Wally and I give a prop that we like on the week, an absolute lock that we have on the week, and again, the drop that we're staying away from. Wally, I want to give it to you, my man. Who's your prop, lock, and drop it? Yeah, we'll start with my prop right now. and I have Lamar Jackson. This is crazy, but I have him on a passing prop. I have him at over 234 and a half yards. And DraftKings has this listed at minus 114 right now. I think that you're going to see Miami struggle to get to him. And even when they do, you know how evasive he can be. Clean pocket or not, we're seeing a little bit of the growth this year from Lamar Jackson. And this is a very good opponent to continue to see that growth. I think that Lamar gets it done. I think the only way he doesn't hit this number is if they blow out Miami. And then it wouldn't make sense for them to be throwing a whole lot, especially with how talented their running game is. But that also means you probably followed us on Baltimore minus six, so at least you won there. As for my luck, I'm going to take the Chiefs in the Raiders game. Not really a great reason outside of the fact that I've just seen the Raiders get beat by the Chiefs so many times and so many times in the past where the Raiders should, or at least it felt like there was an opportunity for them to make it a special year and the Chiefs were an obstacle, or the Chargers were an obstacle, and those two teams have beaten the Raiders up in the last 15 years, I think it continues. I need it to be kind of shown to me that it's not permeated that locker room and that that mentality is different before I believe it, and I just, I'm not there yet. And my drop's got to be that Denver and Philly game. Whoever has a better running game is going to win. I haven't really quite 100% determined who that's going to be, 
I think Denver, while they've improved these last two weeks, there's only so much of it we can see. I don't think that they're going to be able to sustain the success they're having. Meanwhile, Philadelphia, I think they're a lot better than their record indicates while they have learned to run the ball. I don't know what to make of this game. I'm not going to probably put a lot of money on my bet earlier that I mentioned. Of that being the Denver minus three and a half. That is it for me on my prop lock and drop it, Steven. Why don't you give us your three and wrap this show up for everybody? My prop lock and drop it this week. My prop. You should see where I'm going with this. And I feel like this is not only a prop, but a lock of the prop. Wouldn't drop it, only lock it. Dalvin Cook, over 85 rushing yards. Now, this was set at minus 115, so they're expecting him to hit it. Now, if you have a sports book like mine, and you have a prop builder, when you're able to pick certain increments for different odds, that's where I'd go. And I'd clock it over 100. I would hit over at least, I'm sure it'd be set at 96 plus with a little bit of plus money. I would go with that. Wherever that plus money starts, that's where I'm hitting with Dalvin Cook. And honestly, don't give a shit if he's not playing. It's Alexander Matson. I'd flip it right on Alexander Matson as well if he's a starting running back. 160 yards per game you're lobbing on the ground. You know Minnesota is going to want to exploit that with the Chargers having a slightly better pass defense. Why not feed the ball to your workhorse? Let him do the heavy lifting. My lock of the week is the Detroit money line. You know why? Because fuck it. We were recording. Wally's dad was walking by, hearing Wally talk about that. He said, whoever that guy is picking the Detroit money line, that guy fucks. Not his words exactly, but that's what I took out of it. So you know what? I'm going to fucking ride with it. Detroit money line. Shout out to my Toledo boys, Butson and Brock Chamberlain. And my drop of the week, Cleveland Browns plus one and a half against the New England Patriots or New England minus one and a half. This game, strictly for entertainment purposes, I know we're breaking it down, giving you stats, why we're picking the Cleveland Browns to win, quote-unquote, the upset. But I can also see this as New England being 4-0 on the road. This is the one game that they win at home. And we and you saw it coming. Because you know how many times me and Wally sit here on Sundays, look back at our picks that we picked here on either Tuesday or Wednesday, whenever it is, and we're like, what the fuck? Why did we pick that? That's what I'm scared of in this game. That's my prop lock and drop it as well as Wally's. And that will bring us to yet another episode of Loss of Down. We'll keep rolling strong. I'm Steven Weed. And with my co-host, always Mr. Walter Lukashensky in Pittsburgh. Wally, what are the parting words you have for our listeners? I said it already, but this is the best month of the year. College basketball is back. College football is winding down, which means really big games. And the NFL is also shaping up for the playoff push. This is amazing. And then not to mention, I didn't mention NHL because my team sucks right now and I'm sad to even talk about it. Just great, man. I I have nothing else to say. Sports 24-7, it couldn't be any better. Make sure to follow us on all of our social media platforms, Facebook and Instagram at Loss of Down and Twitter, down underscore loss. Make sure you go to tabease.com, T-A-B-E-A-S-E.com, promo code football for 20% off your first order and free shipping. I am Steven Weed. He is Walter Lukashevsky. And like every ex-girlfriend you ever heard of, I promise this week's going to be different and we're coming to give you money. Nelson Aguilar's elite. Is Mike White elite? Of course. <laughs> <laughs>